Ship Plesper says, episode 33. I feel we're a bit we're a bit late to this, but we're late in general. We're late this, <laughs> this month. Episode. But we will be talking about Adam Curtis in the next episode of the podcast. We'll be addressing his latest series. Don't promise things that you can't deliver on. Okay, very high <laughs> odds. Very high odds. Very likely. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Andrew Cuomo, there's been allegations made against him that he's been covering up nursing home deaths in New York, right? And uh, he's been covering up these numbers. And in fact, New York has had the highest highest death rates in the nation, in the United States, before yeah. the end of the summer. Yeah, I guess there were pretty significant numbers, like undercounted by 55%. He was celebrated by the Democratic Party as like the anti-Trump guy, like the face of the Democratic Party on the COVID-19 pandemic, and he won an Emmy. And so the, the hypocrisy is pretty, pretty obvious. Well, what's, what's funny about the Emmy is that he, he won it for his masterful COVID-19 briefings that he's yeah, doing every day, right? Exactly. And in these exactly. briefings, he was giving you numbers and he was presenting facts and figures as opposed to... Yeah, as opposed fighting, to fighting the fake news, right? Yeah, as opposed to Trump's so-called alternative numbers, alternative facts. Yeah, yeah. It's turned out not to be the case. Did you Probably. see the recent uh, speech by Trump at the CPAC? America Uncancelled. America Uncancelled, did you see I that? I did, yeah. He was like, I, I love it, he was like, so yeah, the Biden administration just forgot a lot of things that we did um, to get this vaccine out. Biden even said that the vaccine wasn't ready when he uh, took office. I guess he forgot that he got his vaccine before he took (laughs) office. I was like, snap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but now I guess Cuomo's involved in some other allegations. They're all these... He got Me Too'd, essentially. Yeah, he did. And I can't help to feel like this is just the Democratic Party's way of getting rid of him as, like, the bad apple, right? Like, he's just... You know, he's just like some bad man, right? It's not, he doesn't like represent corrupt Albany Democrats or whatever. He's just a bad guy that's like with the pathological sexuality, male sexuality. Like, I, I feel like it's a dodge. But I, I, I feel like, I mean, I don't know the deep ins and outs of this. I feel like it's a bit of a split. Like, obviously, all of the, all of the news media except maybe Fox News or something, was in love with him during the the height of the pandemic. But it, the so-called left were against him on austerity measures he was making. I don't know, he was making cuts to Medicare. And so the news media, the Democrats, which is the so-called left as well, were like in love with him, but parts of the left kind of hated him. And now is like an opportunity to be rid of him, I guess. Yeah, who's going to take his place though, right? It's like, let the opportunists fight. Yeah. He cut Medicaid. That's what yes. I think you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess there's been denunciations. Uh, the representative from Long Island, Kathleen Rice, one of the highest profile New York Democrats, is calling for Cuomo to step down, right? So, mm-hmm. as before, in the Me Too scandal, uh, there's this kind of opportunist race to the top, and it makes sense that it would be a democratic woman. Yeah, it's it's a new new job opening potentially. It's a new job opening. Yeah, a lot of what's happening right now is that there is this social crisis with the pandemic, but it's immediately politicized, and so it's really hard to actually know as like a citizen what is happening because 
politicians use the opportunity of the pandemic to either gain points with their uh, constituencies or, you know, do what people are doing to Cuomo, which is take down an enemy, take down a rival. And where the truth and scientific facts are in that fight is very unclear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's also an election year in Germany and the same thing is happening here. And it's it's really, uh, I guess, disconcerting. Disorientating. It's like when... Wasn't Trump accusing the Democrats of um, withholding the vaccine rollout, like right until the very end to kind of put him in a bad light until he yeah. had to leave office? It's all yeah. crazy shit. And I guess it's like the question of whether or not the FDA was politically motivated in their fight against Trump. I mean, there's I don't know. Right. Like I just to like for the record, I don't have that kind of information, but it seems like everything has been so politicized in these institutions like the WHO and their ties to China. I mean, it's just it's just like very difficult to actually know what's happening. And so the accusations of fake news from both sides, it's just like even it there's a kernel of truth in that actually mm-hmm. of the of the fake news as being the just the generalizable or the the the, the universal state of information during the pandemic. Mhm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But did you see? Did you see the picture that was passed around the cover of the New York Post of uh, Hansy Andy of Cuomo? He's grabbing the cheeks of this girl, and she's like not into it. And he's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just... annoying, but I mean, it's annoying if, if someone's going to grab your cheeks. But I don't know if it's front page news. But... <laughs> yeah, it's, just like, it's just, you know, New York Post is like a very dramatic sized like text uh-huh. for the for the cover and it's just like handsy andy he's just like squishing and this she little woman she happens to be a lot face. shorter than him so you've got this big guy like grabbing her cheek and he looks like he's like biting his bottom lip like yeah honey i just want to <laughs> squeeze you <laughs> it's like the perfect picture i'm sure they're very proud of themselves at the new york post this is what journalism has become yeah i guess there were some refreshing moments in the in the trump speech that he gave the other day when he talked about Yet all of the election integrity measures in the world will mean nothing if we don't have free speech. And that's where we're at now. If Republicans can be censored for speaking the truth and calling out corruption, we will not have democracy and we will have only left-wing tyranny. And I guess maybe this relates into the fact that the, the Democrats were just praising Cuomo up into the point of giving him an Emmy and it's all just kind of just blind politicization that I, I guess we don't have journalism and it's interested in the facts right and it all just becomes about Democrat, Democrats and Republicans the point being that it's not about journalism and facts it's just about politics and about stopping Trump and squashing the Republicans yeah I mean you know we'll see I, I saw the Trump speech and obviously he's like you know I'm not starting a new party fake news mm. and we'll see who's gonna run in 2024 we'll see yeah it seems that trump is actually able to mobilize and politicize people actually that were not politicized by pushing that narrative that the democrats are against free speech which you know they're not doing themselves any service mm. by 
any service by canceling people and taking down posts, etc. Mm-hmm. And firing people like Gina Carano. Yeah, I didn't know about this young lady. She is, she's in the Disney series, The Mandalorian. Um, and she plays the character of Cara Dune. And Disney fired her and she was dropped by her talent agency as well. She's she's pretty cool. Like, I didn't know about her. She's a former mixed martial artist. Yeah, she is so she's pretty, pretty cool. badass. And she became an actress and... You know, she's like... She's had some major roles. She's Yeah, she's had a film career since being a mixed martial artist. Yeah. And the tweet was something like... She didn't even say Democrats and Republicans. I guess she's somebody that has felt pretty burned by the the Twitter mob mm-hmm. and, you know, this kind of cancel culture stuff. And she's just kind of like, what is this doing to people, right? She's very, like, about humanity. She's like, people are just accusing each other of things, being aggressive towards each other, shutting each other down. And she thought, you know, I just want to point this out that when people turned on their neighbors, this was the precondition for the rise of fascism. Didn't lead and to since good then, things. she's like apologized. She's like, well, I didn't mean my comments to be like insensitive to the Jewish community, etc. It was more about like heal the nation. Clearly, if you were to be like generous to this tweet it's not like she's calling the democrats nazis or something she's kind of saying like well when civil society turns when people turn against each other within civil society it creates a pretty terrible conditions for differences in political views and so i don't know i i don't i don't really have any stake in this i just learned about her yeah 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 anyway anyway um She's really cute. I'm sure she'll be fine. With all of this drama, I kind of got into her and I was like, holy shit, she was like a pretty cool um, mixed martial artist. And she's, yeah. Yeah. I think she's cool. Also, I think she's like a pretty good poster child for this like anti-cancel culture stuff because she was not political at all until basically like she said 2020. Mm -hmm. Like she, this is somebody who has not been like indoctrinated in this way she's not like a republican party supporter from the jump she said my first vote was in 2020 yeah and she's like i'm not proud of that but like that's what happened i just felt like things were getting out of control so she's somebody who represents this kind of politicization under trump yeah and i think that's what people should pay attention to yeah well we hope you enjoy the rest of the episode that we have for you and that you look forward to hearing our adam curtis episode the next she's one. really pushing that. <laughs> I, we better we better record that, Sophia. Then it's gonna happen. Okay, guys, uncancel America. Bye. Bye. Enjoy. <laughs>
On Twitter, we're Platypus Says. And on Instagram, we're Shit Platypus Says. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow us, click like, and share with your friends. Thanks. Bye. From the 22nd to the 23rd of January 2021, the Platypus Affiliated Society hosted its second German-speaking conference. Due to the ongoing corona pandemic, the conference was held via Zoom. We started off on Friday with a teach-in on psychoanalysis and Marxism, followed by a panel discussion on the US election and the left. On Saturday, we had two more panel discussions, one on Corona and the left, and the second and last panel discussion was on the topic of the legacy of the German Communist Party. I've invited Lisa, Stefan and Marius to this episode of the podcast to reflect together on the different panel discussions, on the conference as a whole and on the state of the dead left in Germany. Lisa and Stefan are both Platypus members. Marius is not a Platypus member, but he regularly attends our reading group and other events hosted by the Platypus Affiliated Society. We'll include links to the audio recording of every event we hosted during the conference, as well as a link to the so-called Zero Covid campaign, which was referenced during one of our panels and also referenced during our discussion. Needless to say that the conference was held in German language. I found it was interesting that we had two panel discussions on current political events. First of all, the US election and then Corona. The third panel was on a rather historical topic, namely the legacy of the German Communist Party. And I would like to ask you, how did you guys think that these panels, in terms of whether they relate to current political events or not, stood together? Also with regards to, well, let's say the history of the left and how it was brought up. Yeah, I would say that the conference and how the panels are curated, this gave a whole picture of the left. So we have this current issues the left is working on and what the left thinks, what is to be done. And then on the other side, we have this historical view of the left itself and its own history. What I encountered on the conference was that there was a disconnection between the two things. Yeah, we had the different panels. So it was was a little bit distinct in our themes we put them but at the same time when we did the Q&A some people were asking on special uh, themes on history even in the corona panel or in the um, panel on the US election but there was no relation between the current issues so the practical part of the left today and the history right now. So I felt that there was a little disconnection between yeah, the past and the present right now. Yeah, I was wondering how the left could give meaning to history. What I would say and what I encountered was the left is specific in their view of history only in the question of their practice. So they look back on history to defend what they plan to do in practice right now. Well, I guess I found it very interesting what you were mentioning, because in this rather theoretical panel conversations, you see the urge of speakers to pose a program to organize people around a certain program and to, to act politically. When we as Platypus, because this is what we do, try to present it against the framework and the horizon of history, people are, well, but something needs to be done right now. 
we have these chances and history changes, so we have to change. So there is this call, so to speak, to leap out of history, to leap out of the left's history as a history of defeat. But then, as Lisa said, when we listen to the left, all of their justification for what they are doing is, in fact, based on historical analysis, on thinking that in history, there is the solution for our problem. And I think it's on the one hand rather unconscious, on the other hand rather immediate way. Well, I guess we are trying to ask in how far has the political action of the left to be based on consciousness and in how far a historical consciousness would need to be something mediated, something which cannot be immediately ready-made. But I'm interested, Marius, so you've come across Platypus, so you know a bit uh, of our approach uh, regarding pedagogy and history. So against this, how did you experience these conversations in our conference? What did you think about this? I have kind of a comparison between the two conferences last year and um, this year. I didn't know a lot of the different organizations in Germany. I have seen panel discussions and it was like, okay, there are people from the left, from the party, the left or Die Linke or something else. And okay, they have positions, whatever. Why? I don't know why they had these positions. Yeah. And when I compare it to, to this year, it was a different perception um, of the whole thing it was more okay to ask why they say what they say it was really yeah, a different um, approach approach ah it was a different approach from me to to listen to the people yeah because i had one year of some education in this topic that there is a historical perspective actually you couldn't find it in their statements Oh, yes, you could find something in the statements, but yeah, it was not consistent. Something was missing to understand why they had these positions, because the positions were really a lot of state focused. In the Corona panel, it was like, yeah, the state have to do things. Yeah, you couldn't see what is Marxism. The problem with the left is that they're seemingly talking about Marxism, but then it seems hard to understand what is Marxist about it. The state has a certain ambivalence in Marxism. The left, which was on our conference, seemed to approach the state in a rather one-sided positive way. Corona and the left was curated to address the entanglement of the crisis of neoliberalism with the global medical crisis caused by COVID-19. It was also meant to address the left's reaction on the severe constraints on civil liberties in the industrialized world. We invited the following speakers. Wolf Wetzel, who is a former member of an autonomous group called Lupus, an author and a journalist. Stefan Hein, who is a member of the Platypus-affiliated society and also featured in this episode. Anton Stortkilov is a member of the party Die Linke and engaged in the Zero Covid initiative. And last but not least, Philipp Kissel, who is a member of the Kommunistische Organisation, which is referenced in the discussion as communist organization. This was the first time the Platypus Affiliated Society hosted a panel discussion on this specific topic. Let me just follow up on that. You, you mentioned the Corona panel. You were talking about the state and the left and how seemingly all that the left had to say to Corona was, please, state, do something. I wonder if you can sort of elaborate on that and please, Lisa and Stefan, join in. Yeah, we want that the state is doing something and they do like this zero COVID thing. Why? Where's the sense? to say state please do this 
because the state won't do this, just because the left say, please do this. The left is talking and they were accusing us of defeatism because we don't want to organize as such. This, is, this was an accusation. They said all the time that we need to organize, we need to organize independently. And then at the same time on the Corona panel, they said things like, yeah, we have to live under capitalism right now because socialism is not there. And so we have to fight the pandemic on the current uh, situation. So we have to do something. What I found very interesting was that there was a question on, do you need Marxism to explain what you do right now? in the corona situation? Do you need Marxism for that? And they were like, no, not really. <laughs> and then they said things like, yeah, you need Marxism because you have to show that the ruling class doesn't do what it should do. Marxism itself is a pure tactic. They use Marxism for that tactical reason to get in touch with the terms that sound a little leftist and try to defend their practice. We encounter that there is a deep non-relation or that the left today is not connected to reality. Then we were accused of defeatism. You said that Platypus or Platypus members were accused of defeatism and, and other things. And I just want to say to also our English-speaking listeners that on two of the panels, we had Platypus members as speakers. Namely, the Corona panel, there was Stefan on the panel as a speaker, and on a panel discussion on the legacy of the Communist Party of Germany, Jan Schröder, also a member for several years, was on the panel as a speaker. Because we were talking about the Corona panel right now, Stefan, I can ask you now to reflect on your experience, because I think it was also you who uh, really wanted to push that idea to host the panel on Corona. And it was also you who were present there as a speaker. So maybe you can share your reflections on, on that. I still have very mixed feelings about this panel. And I think... Maybe, first of all, to let me underscore and advance a bit on something Lisa said. We have a saying in Platypus that we are willing to admit everything, but concede nothing. When people say, right now we live in capitalism, right now in capitalism there is a global pandemic, the corona pandemic, this needs to be handled, it's also in the interest of the working class. I think, okay, sure. There could also be like historical examples for organized socialist parties organizing the working class to keep pandemics at bay, like the cholera epidemic in Hamburg at the end of the 19th century. The question is, and I think Lisa put this very well, what's the political role of this? And in how far and what way do we need Marxism for it? I think it was by Philip Kissel, the communist organization speaker on the panel, who brought forth, well, it's in the interest of the working class to be locked up in Corona so that we can starve this virus. On the question, well, what if the workers think differently and how would we know? It was pretty much like, well, it's not really important they should be forced into this interest. There again, for me, the question is, what kind of force and how do we approach this? I think you can make the socialist case for saying working people do not really understand what's happening. There needs to be some authority. It needs to be exercised if people, for one reason or another, are not capable or willing of saving each other, saving themselves and each other. But the question is, how would this be framed and what do we expect from it? 
then here we have this explanation of it's the ruling class who doesn't care and they sacrifice the workers for the profits. This, I personally think, is a, let's say, oversimplistic picture. While, of course, there are people who somehow form a ruling class against a pressed class, this is not everything that is to capitalism. There are more features. There is a competition within the ruling class, right? Different parts of capital have different interests and different ways of struggling for it in politics. Also, there are different rights for workers, for example. There are individual rights of having certain freedoms, and then there is a certain right on living healthy, not being destroyed through your work, at least officially. I think what we have here, again, is a rather complex problem. Maybe it is a left interest to struggle for the health of workers under corona. Yes, of course, that makes sense. But the question is, how do we do this? And in how far is it going to further any Marxist cause? Because then saying capitalism has a ruling class and capitalism works in a dysfunctional way. Yes, of course, but this is rather general and rather abstract. It takes me a bit wonder how easily people draw simple conclusions and solutions for how we have to face the corona pandemic. And I think this is what we like to do. We like to shed some light on what is the connection between what people think about history, what people think Marxism is, and what is good right now, what helps us in this situation. If I'm allowed to make this as a last addendum on the topic, so to speak, I would have liked to call for, you know, a positive working class approach. I would have liked to call for working class self-organization from helping each other to get groceries, to build up possibilities of striking, to build up pressure so that people can get useful medication. A lot of things which are interesting. I have strangely, like it surprised me, some sympathy for rather anarchistic approaches. Is there a chance for vaccines to be distributed around the world without a patent? And it seems like there is no way for it right now because there is no political pressure which could make this possible. Not at all from, from the working class, from the left, but it seems that also, even though it might be a very smart and functional solution for capitalism to vaccinate the so-called third world because it would be good for everyone, I'm not sure if this is going to happen. So when people bring up the anarchist idea of steal the recipe for the vaccines and share them, I'm like, okay, this might help people. People. I don't know. Of course, it's a crime. Of course, this is a problem for politics per se, but it might help people. So I have an interest for it because I'm very unsure what helps anything right now. But to say this is a step closer towards socialism, this is a step toward the oppressed taking power, this I don't understand and I don't see at all. And I think the left is not willing to admit that there is a disconnection between how we view history or how different parts of the left view history and what our chances of acting are right now. Maybe it would be right for the left to now just say like capitalism take over. We want to press capitalism to be as responsible as possible. And since there is no organized working class, we're just going to try push the state as far as possible. This might help politically. Maybe it might spark even some consciousness around the working class. But not if you say, like, we're going to pressure the state. I have no idea how they want to pressure the state to begin with. 
It is the case with any problem. The refugee crisis, the crisis of the European Union, the financial crisis, the Iraq war, the 90s globalization problem, the fall of the Soviet Union. Always the left says, well, but now this is the chance that people are going to understand that we need real socialism instead of capitalism. But maybe there is no connection, no direct connection between the need for socialism growing and the chance for a political force of socialism being established by themselves. Maybe something's missing. That's why we're doing our public events. The panel U.S. election and the left focused on the outcome of the recent presidential elections in the United States, but also on the meaning of the Trump presidency for the millennial left. To speak on the panel, we invited Michael Fischer, who is an independent author and recently published a paper in the German magazine Bahamas, Stefan Bollinger, a historian and political scientist and also a member of the historical commission of the party Die Linke, Martin Suchanek, member of the Trotskyist group Workers' Power, and Karl Müller-Balke, member of the Socialist Youth in Germany. Maybe we can talk about the US panel a bit more now. All speakers were relatively uncritical towards the left in the last four years under Trump. And the huge increase in membership in, for example, the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, and their relationship to the Democratic Party. I wanted to ask how you guys did see this and what did you guys think of the panelists' opinions and reflections on the last four years on the left under Trump? I think there are two main tendency or currents on the left evaluating the years since early 2016. I think the one is a rather uncritical celebration and support for Bernie Sanders, kind of saying, look, all these people are interested in socialism, right? And now there's a basis for this. Bernie made a great first step. Some time ago, we also heard Corbyn with this. It's become a bit more quiet about Corbyn right now. I wonder why that is the case. Another approach to it seems to be that people say, like, you know, rather critical leftists. Well, Bernie himself and uh, the Bernie movement, Bernie Bros, this, of course, was not to be taken seriously in itself. This was just kind of charade. But what we really saw is that there was this interest for socialism, which got like falsely channeled into Bernie. But there would have been a chance for the left to capitalize on Bernie. And for me, this seems to catch only the tail end of what's really important for our epoch or for, as we call it, the millennial left the last 15 years. Because Bernie did not come out of thin air. Before we had a failed Occupy movement as a pressure on Obama, we had the opposition of the left against the Iraq war in the early 2000s. For me, it seems that the problems which Bernie's candidacy goes deeper, has a longer history. The failure built up earlier. Bernie was just a necessary last step for the left not taking up its tasks. I think this goes back to what I said before, right? We see the need for socialism growing, of course. But does this mean that we have the basis for a socialist movement, let alone a socialist organization? I'm very unsure. Could you explain a bit more what do you mean when you're saying that critical leftists are tailing, so to speak, the first current, are tailing people that are sort of uncritically affirmative of the Bernie Sanders campaign? 
in how far do they tail them and, and what does that mean? Yeah, I think the first one say look like Bernie was the thing, right? And the second, the quote unquote critical current would say, no, there is something in Bernie that was represented, but it was mischanneled. While there is more truth to the second opinion, I think it still falls short of reality because it does not understand that the advertisement character of the Bernie campaign is the absolute consequential outcome of what had happened the years before with the left not trying to organize itself, not trying to deal with its past defeats and failures. And like, I remember, I don't know how many people remember around Occupy, everyone was like, now we're talking about capitalism, things are going to change, everyone sees that capitalism cannot stand in the long run. But yeah, what came out of it? And I think something similar is going to happen with the question of socialism. Just because you talk about something does not mean you have a viable solution for a problem. It doesn't even mean that you get the problem just because you talk about parts of the problem. I guess what I want to say is, yes, the millennial left had a chance to step into the realm of politics, but it failed before Bernie. Bernie was just the failed millennial left doubling down on itself, not being capable of learning from history, especially its own history. And that is the kernel of a left, much more than a fucking word like socialism. Socialism is a word, guys. To make it into a concept, into a begriff, you know, Hegel, that would need a real movement in reality. The concept is in the world. It's not in a book. It's not in a propaganda speech. And this is the way the left today changes the failure into a success. Because right now, after the election, all panelists had a consensus in that it's a it's a huge success that ordinary people talk about socialism and it would be the task for marxists today to connect all the different fights of anti-sexism anti-racism anti what have you for the struggle for socialism this is only the continuation of the failure Stefan, what I found really interesting was that you said on your statement on the Corona panel that there is no German word for millennial left. And this means something. One point I found interesting was to, to speak about what is socialism at all. Before I met some people from Platypus, my concept of socialism was really confused. I didn't know really a lot what it means, what it means historically. Two years ago, I would have say the same to say Bernie Sanders is somebody who is his aim is socialism. Now I think, okay, this is not socialism anymore. I mean, now we are in a time where socialism is what Bernie Sanders says, or socialism is what Die Linke says. This concept socialism says something else today than what it should say, actually. I'm not sure. Marius, I think this is very interesting. And I think very different people coming from very different points have similar thoughts and questions about this when they approach our historical questions. Could you say something more on what you think is the disconnect between how the word is used right now, what the concept means as a concept of Bernie socialism, so to speak, against what you think it was historically? What I learned and what I really think it's true is that this perspective to leave the state behind isn't there. Yeah, the state is das Maß aller Dinge. The state is the measure for everything right now. There is nothing beyond the state. I mean, the, then you have the autonomous, the state is shit. So, okay, this is their statement. 
And you know, one thing in concern to this, the left is really, really quick to call each other fascist and it's horrible. It does not help with anything. So this is not what I'm trying to do. But sometimes with Corona, I thought, you know, in the Third Reich, there was the parole. No one should stay cold or hungry, right? And I have the feeling that the left feels right now, well, this is a good slogan, right? Like what could be wrong with the state providing no one going hungry or cold? Of course, they don't want something like fascism. Of course not. Of course, the people are not fascists. Of course not. The problem is that there seems to be a huge hole in their idea of the state. I think this is super important what Mario said, that Marxism understood the state as self-contradictory as being in relation with capital. It's not that capital that we just need to somehow get a grip of an authoritarian rule over it. The question is who and in what way institutes this authoritarian rule? Because there is a big difference if it happens under capitalism. But this point that they just don't see that the state also upholds and secures what we call capitalism. The regulation in capitalism through the state is an essential part of capitalism. I think this is super important. Marxism wanted to work through this, and this seems to be lost. Again, like we don't have this. We don't have the dialectical political approach to the state, but we're asking, can we go somewhere without it? Do you think you can learn something from the left without them posing these questions? And if not, why not? On the Corona panel, the representative of the communist organization, I think it's safe to say that this is a Marxist-Leninist organization, said that, well, okay, if the workers want to go to work, basically, so then they have to be forced to stay at home. Maybe the problem is not the point of an authoritative measure itself. In a certain political constellation, it might be necessary to exercise this kind of authority on the immediate wishes of workers. But... I think it's very unclear what this political constellation actually entails when people from the communist organization say it. I, for example, can just see the state forcing people to stay alone and not to go to work and stay at home. And I don't think in any kind of political constellation in, in the current society, this is a good thing. And this is why I was really, really struck by how convinced they were and how honest they were about it, that they say, okay, then we just have to force people to stay at home. That's honest, but to me, also shocking and really showed something about the state of the death of the left to me. The last panel we held at our conference centered around the legacy of the German Communist Party. It asked the question of the meaning of its origin during the revolutionary crisis between 1917 and 1923, as well as of the meaning of its revolutionary legacy of the new left and the dead left today. We invited following speakers. Aitak Barani, a member of the Kommunistische Organisation, or as we have referenced it here already, the Communist Organization, the journalist and author Felix Klopotek, Jan Schröder, who is a member of the Platypus Affiliated Society, and Martin Suchanek, member of the Trotsky's group Workers' Power, who also spoke on our panel on the US election. One moment that struck me was a question posed to ITAC, also a member of the communist organization, and she was asked why she's treating the new left as pure disorganization of the workers, while her organization emerges directly out of the DKP. 
And she was like, oh, I think it's wrong to read history that linary. So um, she doesn't see herself in a tradition of the new left, while the new left tried to push the world revolution forward after 1917. And she was like, I don't see myself in a tradition of the new left. So she rejected the history where her own organization was coming from. And this was something that I mentioned at the beginning. It's like the left today is only picking up moments in history, however they like to. It's not that the whole history means something, yet the left is unable to make regression palpable because they ignore it. They just want to go back to something that was before, to the great victories, because the history is the history of great victories and there are some crises, but... Yeah, we have to go back to the winners, not to the losers. Maybe it's the same panel and the same person who said something, what was really interesting. Because she said Stalinismus and Stalinisierung is a Kampfbegriff, whatever a Kampfbegriff in English is. So Stalinism and Stalinization are fighting concepts, like fighting slogans of the right against the left, something like this, I guess. Yeah, I didn't really know what she means and why she's saying it, but it seemed to me yeah, that they have a really positive picture of what was Stalinism or what was the real socialism. Could be. I don't really know about their theoretical background. I haven't met or I haven't seen people speaking of these concepts, these words before, actually. No, I think this is very interesting what you're saying, Marius. And I think this is where it's so important that Platypus exists. Because to situate or maybe even defend the communist organization for a bit, huge parts of the left thought this was the case, right? Like the Soviet Union is the heir to the October Revolution. Even the Stalinized Communist International and the Soviet Union were the real heritage of the communist movement. That was the official memory, so to speak. I think what we are seeing here is very interesting because when Aitak is saying something like this, she's speaking to history, right? Like she has so many implications, as she said it. Of course, the people who were anti-authoritarian, anti-Leninist said after the fall of the Soviet Union and of the Eastern Bloc, we always told you, right? Now the way is open and clear for real socialism because this terrible system doesn't exist anymore. But since there is no real political left, we're trapped inside those two wrong extremes. The Soviet Union was the real thing. It was the real existing socialism, which just sadly got defeated by the evil capitalists. Or on the other hand, the Soviet Union from the beginning on was nothing else but an emerging terror apparatus, which never could have led to freedom. We're caught in between these wrong extremes. And this is why I think like while we were having this panel on the heritage of the German Communist Party, I was texting with some people of Platypus who were also listening to it. And all of us were like, oh, please let this go for not just two hours, but two hours, 20 minutes. We want to listen more. This is interesting. I think a lot of people disagreed with ITAC, but everyone wanted to listen to her. We felt it is very, very good that she can speak out here. And we want people to hear this because we are not interested in blaming people for, quote unquote, being Stalinists. We are interested in talking about, okay, so you say there is something to be learned from Stalin's leadership under communism. 
why, how, and in what way. We are not at each other's throat. No one's going to go into a fucking uh, internalization camp. Like we're not going to be put in a camp by our political enemies. We can talk about this. We also, again, don't want to blame people like, oh, you're Stalinists, you're potential murderers. It's not about this. We want to have an open conversation about what do you think the history of the left is. While I found this very good, I'll add one other thing. Andreas and me also did a teaching on Marxism and psychoanalysis. And while I was very happy about the interest and the very, very positive feedback we received, I was also wondering, why is there so little controversy? A lot of people talk about psychoanalysis in the left. And we were basically saying, look, the direction you're going into, there's nothing to get. No good will come out of this. We don't need to read Lacan. It seems for me interesting that a lot of things, you know, are like very prevalent on the left and people are like, yeah, like we need to force this and we need to talk more about it. But I ask myself sometimes why? Who is listening to it? What consequences do we draw from it? Like, Andreas, should you and me like become revolutionary psychoanalysts? Should we write the theory on how to engage the working class just because we approached the history and studied psychology? It does not seem like this to me. What do we do with what the left asked us to do, right? Like, so we are experts on some things, so we can think about some things. But is this of any help in reality, the political project of socialism? I have no idea, and people seem rather unwilling to talk about it. I'm very happy to learn about this in the coming months. Dann macht euch noch einen schönen Tag und danke. Danke. Ciao. 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 Ciao.